Agent Power Huddle is a daily jumpstart, giving you all the tools you need to create an amazing real estate career. Led by top experts in the field, you'll learn how to sell more houses in less time while creating the life you want. Welcome to the Agent Power Huddle. Good morning, guys. Uh, This is Ogi Penev, and welcome to the Agent Power Huddle. Today's Wednesday, and um, I have a special guest. Uh, He's not a real estate agent or broker. Um, He is a real estate investor and a real estate coach, coaching real estate investors how to buy properties at a very discounted price. So uh, my guest today is Greg Helbeck, and I will have a... um, direct conversation to ask him how he can help us recognize distressed sales, what to ask the sellers so we can buy the properties at a discount price. Because chasing the commissions, it's not a retirement plan. You guys have to start buying real estate. That's where the money is, not in the commissions. All right, so, hey Greg, how are you, man? I am doing awesome. Thanks for having me on. So tell the guys a little bit about you, about your business, what do you do and about the coaching company too? Yeah, for sure. So I have a uh, real estate business and we operate in two markets, two of the harder markets in the country, uh, New York, the New York city tri-state area, and then San Diego where I actually live. I'm born and raised in New York. So uh, I've always just kind of done business there because I'm really familiar with the area. So we buy anywhere from three to five properties a month. And we do a few different exit strategies. We do wholesale deals, we do rental properties. And those that's where the big money is and the wealth. Uh, and then we'll do some fix and up. flips. Yeah, we'll do some fix and flips or we'll just buy these properties and clean them out and stick them back on the MLS with a real estate agent. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll just kind of look at every deal from different angles and see which one makes the most sense based on, you know, where the property is and what price we're getting it for. But my whole business is based on direct to seller marketing, uh, off market properties for the most part only. I would pick a few of them up on market, but that's maybe once a year, we'll get one of those. Um, and our whole business is, is essentially just direct marketing to sellers and then negotiating and then looking for, like you said, the opportunities where you can buy a house at a discount when it actually helps the seller and uh, taking those leads and converting them into deals. And then, you know, based on the, what, like mm-hmm. I said earlier, what, whatever the numbers make sense, what exit strategy we're gonna execute. I also have a small little coaching business where I help other real estate professionals, you know, learn how to buy properties at a, uh, at a discount, right? When it, when it makes sense, cause you can't when it makes sense. force a deal. Yeah, when there's no deal to be made. So what, uh, yeah. what's, the, what's the average um, discount that you get on a property? Like how much below market you try to buy them? Yeah. If depending San Diego, you know, anywhere 85 cents on the dollar or anywhere from 75 to 85 cents on the dollar, you're going to, you're going to do real well. Um, but in New York, I try to stay at about 70 cents on the dollar. So about 30% discount. Uh, Cause that the, the New York area, the closing costs are really expensive. So you have a lot more um, mm-hmm. you know, just cost of goods essentially with these properties. So I, I basically 30% to give you guys just a rule of thumb, 30% of market value minus the repairs. So if you got a house for a hundred and needs, uh, you know, if you, so if you got a house for a hundred grand and you know, you want to buy it at 30%, you want to buy it at $70,000 minus, let's say it needs 30 grand in repairs, you know, 40 grand, which, which that's obviously back in napkin math. It's not, not always that simple, but, uh, at least 30% margin is when you're going to be able to have multiple exit strategies and essentially decide what you want to do with that property. Gotcha. Okay. Let's start now. So you get a call from a seller 
that sure. wants to sell. And it sounds that he might be distressed. And let's say I'm a real estate agent or you're a real estate agent. How would you start? What questions would you ask? How would you find out if this would be a purchase or this would be a listing? For sure. So the first thing I would do if I was a real estate agent, I had a, a seller call me up and, and you know I wanted to find out what what to do with it if it was an investment deal. So I would start to ask them very specific questions, open-ended questions regarding, first of all, their situation. So, hey, Mrs. Prospect, uh, what is the reason you want to consider selling your property? And then based on what they say there, they're going to start to either say a lot about a problem they might have, or they're going to say, well, the market's hot right now, and I figured I'd get the most money out of it. So if they start talking about like the property and you know the, the, the problem they might be facing, like for us, for example, a lot of the scenarios are like, I've owned this rental property for a while. My tenants aren't paying rent and it needs a lot of work. And I really don't know what to do because I can't evict anyone in New York right now. So I want to ask them why they're selling the property. And then based on that answer, I'm going to then transition to another question, which is, so based on a scale from one to 10, and this, this will really tell you if this is going to be a, a, a fixer upper or not. I like to say based on a scale from one to 10, one being you know a doghouse and 10 being the White House, where would you say your property falls and why? And based on what they say, like let's say they say it's a four and they're like, well, it's a four because, you know, my kitchen hasn't been updated and my, you know, I have, you know, some, my, my roof is kind of messed up and the siding's falling off and, you know, my bathroom has a hole in the floor, you know, then I know, okay, now this, this person has a reason for selling. They want to sell because they, they don't have the money to fix it up and they, they just don't want to deal with it. It needs updating, AKA, you know, it's a four out of 10. Then the third question I like to ask is, and I always like to frame it with the seller's benefit in mind. Hey, if you got a number that you're happy with, because it's all about them, because if they're not happy, they're never going to do business with you, whether you're listing their house or buying their house. If you got a number that you're happy with, what is your timeline? Like how soon or how non-soon would you want to sell? Because you'd be surprised. Some people in New York, they want to just have a number on their house and then they want to wait for a while because they don't know where they're going to go. Usually, so you, so you don't start with asking about the price, how much they want. You're just trying to find these other I'm trying situational, to find these situational yeah. questions. Mm -hmm. to, you, you're trying to pull out the motivation to see if it exists. Exactly. I want to see if there's motivation there. And if there's no motivation, it's very hard to get a good price because there's no reason for them to, to do that. So, so you think them, that if the motivation is not that strong, there's not such a problems, then you just going towards more towards listing the property, probably trying to list it on the market. Yeah. Well that I'll kind of just at the end of the call, I'll decide that because of the reason I'm, it's a little nitty gritty is like, for example, in San Diego, we just did a deal, an investment deal where the guy wasn't ultra motivated, but he had a phenomenal asking price. So that was like kind of a weird scenario. We, I see this a lot in California where it's so expensive here. Like if the property is worth 700 and they're asking 550, you probably can make money on that, but they like, yeah. but that's still a lot of money for somebody like 550 is still a lot of cash. It doesn't matter who they are. That's a lot of money. But if you're in like Missouri or something and it's like, you know, 200,000. So it, it really is market specific, but I'll, yeah. I'll find out their timeline. And then after yeah. all of that is established, then I'll say, okay, well, if I can help you get out of your property where you don't have to do any work and then, you know, close whenever you want, says you want, you said you, you told me you want to sell in 45 days. What number would you need to be at for this to make sense for you? 
And then I want them to tell me their price. And then if they say something like I usually I'm on Zillow or the MLS or I'm, I'm somewhere where I can kind of comp out their house on the spot. If they say a number usually lower than Zillow, a little bell's going off in my head and I'm like, okay, something's going on here. This, this, this seems like an investment property purchase. And obviously anyone could list it on the market, but you know, this could be an opportunity for a realtor to pick up a deal that they otherwise would have listed for a commission where they could, you know, either flip it or rent it and, and, and make some serious money or build some serious wealth. So that's the sequence of events that I like to kind of take a prospect down. I like to go with price at the end, because if they tell me a lot about the problems a property might be causing them and their reasons for selling and, and the condition and their timeline, at the end, usually their price is more uh, realistic for the most part, assuming the seller is actually qualified. And then it's easier to kind of wrap the offer around everything they said with a price at the end versus me just saying, hey, what price do you want to get for your house? And then I don't know anything about it. And they're like, well, I don't know. Zillow said 3 million. And you're like, oh, okay. And then it kind of like stalls out the conversation. Okay. So first you start trying to get motivation. See, all right. Timing, um, property condition. What other questions you should ask? What are questions to, to find out motivation and if they're really serious about selling to an investor? A lot of it is, is the condition. That's usually the, the case is like the, the property. Need, it, it doesn't need to be a total teardown, but it needs some sort of updates where like it's dated. Like a lot of our properties are dated. Like the kitchen's original, the bathroom's original, the siding is original, the stucco might be chipped or cracked or whatever. Uh, or like there's uh, some sort of problem. I don't know if you guys do this in Arizona, but there's like permit issues where like they did something without a permit. And then yeah. like, that does that exist in Arizona? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So then like they don't want to like have to take the garage and they convert it into a bedroom and like, you know what I mean? So, yeah. so like that is a big indicator. Um, but usually they're, they're uh, <laughs> when you talk with a motivated seller and they're generally going to sell to an investor, they do most of the talking on the phone call. Like you just kind of sit there and you're like, huh? you like nod your head. Uh-huh. Okay. Tell me more about that. Okay. Uh-huh. And they're kind of, <laughs> they're telling you about the problem that they already had before you called them. You just got on the phone with them when they had the problem. So it's very hard to create a deal out of a non-motivated lead because it, it, it just, no one would sell their house at a discount if they had no good reason to do that. So I like to just ask really their condition and then why they're selling. And then the timeline, like I said, that is a decent indicator, but like if they want to sell their property in 30 days, yet listen, in this market, you could put it on the MLS and do that for sure. But if they want absolute certainty, like that their house is closing on a specific day, they're probably better off selling to an investor if that's what they want. Because mm -hmm. we can buy a house, assuming there's title, clean title, in like 10 days, depending on where I am. New York, it's like 30. But you know, California, all day long, 10 days. You can do it in like yeah. four days in California. So it's all about this. This is like, I want to kind of like, this is something that I learned from a guy named Todd Toback. And it makes a lot of sense. When you buy a house at a discount from a seller, what the seller is doing is they are trading equity in their property for certainty and convenience, right? People pay for convenience. People will give equity away for convenience and certainty. You know what I mean? So that's what you got to look at. Like if the prospect really values knowing when they're going to close and not having to do anything, most of the time they are willing to give some of their equity up in exchange for the easy, convenient, sometimes quick sale. Gotcha. Okay. Um, based on the answers, do you have like a scale, like a point or something that, you know, um, at some point you were telling, talking about 
two points if the server uh, fits three of six or five of you know they're definitely a motivated seller for what sure. is that um uh, that points that you follow yeah, for sure. So I actually did this in my own business last year. I was getting a lot of leads and a lot of the leads were garbage. And I'm like, what's going on here? So I took the trailing 20 deals that I bought that like closed and funded. And I looked at all the properties and I'm like, okay, so I just, I just kind of took an analysis of all them. Okay. And I saw there were six things that all, there were six things that were occurring with all these prospects. And I'll share the six things and then I'll tell you like how you can kind of qualify people. So the first thing was the property either needed updates or it was a total disaster. So it needed some work. It wasn't turnkey. Like it wasn't like, oh, it's all renovated and it's beautiful. It's like, it, it could use a rehab, right? Whether that's a cosmetic rehab or that's a gut job. This, <clears throat> the second thing was that the prospect had a real reason for selling. Like they weren't like, well, you cold called me. If you listed at a good price, maybe I'd sell. Like they were like, no, I'm selling because of X, Y, and Z. They have clarity on why they're selling. And it doesn't have to be that I'm getting foreclosed tomorrow. It could just be like, hey, I'm selling because I'm moving to Nevada and I just don't want to be a landlord in Arizona. Like something like that. It doesn't have to be crazy. The third thing is that either the property is vacant completely, or if it's like a duplex, triplex, four unit, like there's like at least one unit that's vacant. You know, so there's some sort of vacancy component going in with the property. Okay. The fourth thing is they know they can get more if they list it, but they don't want to list it for some reason. Like we always tell the sellers, hey, listen, we're not a fit for everybody. And I'm going to tell you exactly, I'm going to be transparent. If you want the most money, you should 1000% list your house on the market with a realtor and get top dollar. And if they say they don't want to do that for some reason, well, I don't want to do that because I don't want to have to show it. I don't want to do it. And they were like, I know I can get more if I list it, but I don't want to. Big indication that a deal is going to go down. The next one is that their asking price is lower than Zillow for some reason. And that is really market specific. But like in California, if they're asking less than Zillow, there's something going on. In New York, if they're asking less than Zillow, usually there's something going on because Zillow is relatively accurate for the most part, uh, at least in terms of like a starting point for the price. Mm -hmm. uh, the next one is their timeline. They want to sell within six months or less. So they have clarity on their timeline, which is, um, you know, which is obviously important. So like, they're like, oh yeah, I want to sell in the next three months. I want to sell before the new year. I want to sell before Valentine's day, whatever the case might be. But there's, there's some clarity on a timeline and that, that's, those are kind of the boxes that I, I like to check. So the way that I do in my business with my team is like, if a lead comes in, they have to check at least two out of six boxes for them to be a prospect for an investment opportunity. Because I've, I know from the data that I've pulled, every single deal that we bought had at least two, if not three, four or five boxes checked um, from the, the criteria that I just told you. And I know for sure that if they only have one box checked, they have a reason for selling, but it needs no work. They want more than Zillow. It's not vacant. They're definitely going to get more with a realtor. You know what I mean? Like they're just, there's most likely not going to be a deal there. And it's not worth you know, trying actually, to sell them. These points are pretty good because for an agent, that's, that's um, by asking questions and finding the answers. And three of out of the six, if they show up and they come up in, during the conversation, you can very easily switch towards, hey, do you want to sell it to an investor right away? Or if it's only one of out of six, then you know that this is more towards listing. It's going to so be more of a, of a listing. Yeah, clear view of where 
way it has to be based on the the, the answers. Okay, perfect, man. Yeah, that's totally. that's a really good advice for uh, for agents. So, if you, you guys, there was six things that Greg was uh, looking for in order to make sure um, this is a investor purchase, and out of if he has two out of the six. Definitely, it's a workable lead. So, um, if you're watching this again, go back, take down the six points, and just follow the conversations. All right. So, let's say um, the lead is qualified and it will be an investment purchase. What's the next step afterwards to make sure you lead him to a successful closing? Yeah. So, the number one thing, if if they are qualified and you can you can get that price agreed upon that that works for everyone is I always like to instill with a seller, now that we have the price worked out, how do you want this transaction? Like what, what, what do you need to see for you to feel like this is gonna be a really good decision you're making? A lot of the times they just wanna know that you're gonna do exactly what you say you're gonna do. That's the number one thing. If, if, you can, if they convey to you that they are giving you the house at a good price for convenience and certainty, you need to make sure that your commitments that you're making to that seller and then the commitments that they're making to you because they have to follow some stuff too. They have to take stuff, the title, they have to obviously sell their house to you. They can't just flake out. If you can communicate 100% certainty that you are going to get their property sold or bought, this is gonna, if you're going to buy their property and this is the investment side and you're going to close when you say you're going to close, you have to get them not convinced, but you have to get them certain on the fact that you're gonna get everything done and they can trust you, right? Because the big, big thing in this business is that people will like, an investor will say something stupid and then the seller will lose trust and then they'll try to shop it around. But if you can get them to really understand that they can trust you and you're gonna do what you say you're gonna do, especially because you know your numbers and you're following the system, that if you can just communicate the trust factor, it, it, it's really, usually it's going to work out. Listen, there are some sellers who are out of their minds who are just nut jobs and, and they, they flake out, but that's really kind of rare. Um, usually when you get to the finish line or when you get a price agreed upon and they really can trust you and you're, you're a man of your word or a woman of your word, it's going to work out. You know, it's going to work out. And these deals are, are big. You can make a lot of money or, or a, lot of, a lot of wealth on these properties. What are the most common things that um, cause the deal to go bad? Lack of communication, it's 100% lack of communication or, or setting the wrong expectations, which is kind of a variation of that. So like when you tell a seller, Hey, we're going to close this property in 10 days. And then all of a sudden 10 days goes by and you're like, Hey, I, um, actually my lender, my partner, um, we can't close like that. That's where people kind of get wonky. So if you can communicate exactly what your process looks like and exactly what the next steps are going to be, and they're accurate, and the seller can can obviously see that it's going to work out. But if you can't communicate to that seller properly and set the right expectations, like for example, let's say you tell them that uh, you need to get one home inspection done, right? And they're like, "Listen, I'm, I need to get one home inspection done. There's going to be two people inside this house. They're going to walk in here for 20 minutes, and uh, they're going to basically just look at the property, and then it's not going to impact the price. But we just need to get this done in order to get this thing closed." Let's say you say that to them and then all of a sudden you call them the next week and you're like, hey, I need to do one more home inspection. You didn't tell that to them in the beginning and they just thought it was going to be one person. That's when kind of they start getting skeptical and that can lead to uh, deals falling out. So inspections. Okay. Um, what about like family members, relatives, people that could be on a way of how do you handle people like that? Let's say yeah. most common thing is, hey, I got to talk to my wife. Yeah. Uh, I gotta talk. Oh, I gotta talk to my husband. Oh, I gotta talk to my brother. Something like that. How do you handle things like that? 
Yeah. So before you get to the offer, you want to make sure that that seller is either the only decision maker, or you want to make sure that you know all the decision makers involved before you give them an offer. Because if you give them an offer and they like the offer, but they didn't tell you that they need to speak to their cousin about it, then you know they can ghost you. And then all of a sudden you're playing chase, you're playing the chase game. So before I make an offer, what I like to do is I like to say, who else besides you is involved in making this decision? And then they're either going to say nobody or, oh, my brother. Okay. So what would your brother say if you sold me this property today and you didn't run it by him first? Oh, he wouldn't care. Okay. So you're telling me that if you do this deal today, assuming you're happy with it and you don't tell your brother, he's not going to get mad at you that you signed a contract. No, no, it's fine. Or the other way they could say, well, I'm going to have to run it by him first. Okay. So either way, let's say I offer you $2 million for your house today, which I'm obviously not going to do. Sounds like you can't even do anything until you speak to your brother. Correct? Yes. Correct. Okay. So now you want to be careful with your offer because once they have your offer, that's all, that's all they want from you. So you got to kind of make sure that you're, you're getting like multiple decision makers kind of on board, whether it's on the phone or they're at the house together. So when you present an offer, you have all the, uh, the boxes checked in terms of like the decision makers. Cause the last thing you want to do is just give out offers to people when they, you know, there's like 10 people involved. If it's like a probate deal or something like that. So you want to ask the, the takeaway for this is you want to ask before you make the offer, who else is involved in the decision? And then if there's other people, you say, well, what would XYZ person say, you sold me your property without running it by them first to see if it's actually going to be a big deal or not. Gotcha. Um, as far as the, the seller leads, what do you find the, to be the most, the better source of motivated seller leads for um, buying at a discount? Yeah. So two of them I really like are direct mail because you can target specific lists on you know people who might have problems. I personally like to just do direct mail to people who have owned property for a long time because the niche lists are just getting crushed by every guru and their brother. So I like to pull lists of people who own property for a very long time, like usually 20 plus years. 20 plus it, years. Yeah, like because that's telling me this property is going to need some deferred. Like if there hasn't been a transfer, unless it's an interfamily transfer for 20 years, there's probably equity unless they took a HELOC out. And there's probably some deferred maintenance and they probably bought it really cheap. So even if they're selling it now, like it's still like more than what they paid for it. So I really like the just long ownership prospects. You know what I mean? Cause they're, you, and sometimes they're inherited properties, but they just, you know, the people, the person who inherited it, just, they still owned it. They just inherited the property. So I like direct mail and I also like internet leads like SEO organic traffic. So like someone goes online, they're like, sell my house fast, Dallas, Texas. And instead of looking at the ads, which that works really well too, you go down to the, the organic rankings. And then like, there's companies like, you know, we'll buy your Dallas house quickly, you know, and like, they're like organically ranked because Google is kind of telling uh, the prospect that this, this company's ranked highly according to us because of whatever they have. So organic SEO, I like direct mail. Um, and then you could do cold calling it and you could, you could basically take all the data from direct mail and cold call it, you can, well, texting is a little gray. I probably wouldn't advise real estate agents to do that, um, but you could do cold calling too. And it, it's all about just getting a prospect to raise their hand. And then once they raise their hand, putting them into your CRM and then seeing if they're fit or not. But I like direct mail because they're calling me. Um, and usually when they're calling me because response rates are so low, there's a problem I can solve for them. At least so you're them. saying low response rate. What is very the low? Very, so let's say you send 10,000 a month. What do you expect? What are the expectations for callbacks? Uh, 0.005%. So about That's 50, like calls. 50 like calls. 50 calls yeah. on a 10,000? Yeah. 
It's horrible. Yeah. But it's profitable though. Cause here's the deal. If you send 10,000 postcards out or whatever, and you get 50 calls because the response rate is so low, the people who are actually calling are, are actually pretty serious about selling their house. So I have this all tracked in my, in my Google sheets. Basically, let's say I get 50 calls from 10,000 mail outs. All right. That, and that's, that's like worst case scenario. Sometimes it's better, but I'd rather just be real about like the response rate that it could be. And then, you know, if your, if your results are better than, than great. Um, if you get 50 calls, about 40% of those people are going to tell you to like, that they're not interested, take me off your list, blah, 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 blah. So then the, the balance are going to be actual sellers who do have a problem you can solve because it's such a low response rate. So we spend about $5,000 to acquire a deal in our New York area market. So you know, the numbers still work out sometimes, but it, listen, that's average. Sometimes it's six, sometimes it's four, sometimes it's seven, but right around $5,000 has been our cost per deal usually. What about the, um, the pay-per-click in online? Have you noticed what's the, the acquisition cost there? Where the SC, so I PPC, I stopped doing because it just got all weird. But with SEO, for example, I was spending uh, like a thousand bucks a month for a while on like a service or actually a bunch of VAs that were doing all my like content building and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So that was like an upfront cost. It was like, I think it was like a thousand, it was like a thousand bucks a month or something like that. And I did that for a couple of years. So like in terms of the cost per lead, you had to just take, you know, every month, if you got four leads and it was a thousand bucks a month, it was about $250 a lead. I actually stopped doing the, like the service because I, I wasn't seeing enough leads on a weekly basis to warrant a, like an ROI. So I actually stopped and now I'm getting leads without them doing any of the work. So it's essentially free, but you know what I mean? So I mean, you really don't know what that is. It's kind of been around for a while, like in my market. So like, it, it, I, I guess it's probably like, you know, dollars. Yeah. It takes, it takes years. Yeah. So that's not really a, that's not really direct marketing. That's more of like organic building a brand, building credibility, but like with direct mail, I know a lot about that's like going to be like $5,000 cost per deal. Usually in a tough market, it's probably gonna be 10 and like in like Phoenix, it's probably gonna be 10 or 12. Uh, just, that's just the reality of it. Dallas, it's like, you know, eight to 12. Oh yeah. It's, it's a highly competitive market. Phoenix is the the mech of investors. It's just crazy out here. Yeah, Phoenix is nuts. You guys, there's just there's like a thousand investors in Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, wild. exactly. Um, that's great information. Any other questions, guys? Um, we have a couple more minutes. Um, any specific questions about purchasing investment properties? How to talk to sellers and how to find the motivation? Who, who is buying properties right now, Craig? Do you buy properties in your market? I would love to. And that's why I was asking questions. I mean, it's just, it's rough. And, and to be honest, I'm not focused on it that much. I mean, I can only finally like focus on a few things at a time. So um, opening up that investment aspect as far as flips is, um, you know, I, I found in the past, like I did a lot of short sales back in the day and we were doing similar things. We were sending out probably like 20,000 pieces a month. Um, but I found that like, it was like a full-time deal. Like you couldn't do anything else other than that. So right now in my business, I don't have time to, Focus on flips. I'd like to. I mean, I passively come across them. I probably haven't done one for about 18 months, but um, it's something that I'm, uh, we were talking about. Aziz on this call right now, we were talking about this yesterday. Um, something we definitely like to get into, but uh, you know, and that was one of some of my questions, you know, because in the past we did a lot of mailers. We had ISAs calling, you know, doing cold calls, um, just kind of setting up, a, you know, a warm phone call. But I mean, like I said, I found it was a, it was a ton of volume. Like we were sitting out like 10, 20,000 pieces per month. And the cost, I mean, the cost really gets up there. And sometimes the ROI is, you know, six months, 12 months behind that. Oh, yeah. Great, oh, great. What, what's great the, point. What's the right message 
So let's say, let's, let's this be the last question of uh, the podcast. What should a real estate agent craft as a, a direct message to potential investment investment opportunities on the uh, on the postcard or online? What's the direct message that the sellers respond to? I would say if if you're a real estate agent, let's say you're a dual and you can do both. I would just say, you know, I I'm looking to uh, well because it's weird because I don't I don't have a license, so like I all my messaging is like I'm Greg. I can buy your house in cash. I can close whenever you want, and I can make it a very simple, stress free sale. Call me if you're interested in an offer. If if I was a real estate agent, what I would probably do, and I don't know if this is legal or not in your state, but this, totally legal in New York, basically like you, you market as an investor. And then after they call in, if they're not a fit, like I said, I'm not an attorney, but you basically say, listen, I was trying to buy your house for cash based on what you're telling me. It sounds like this might not make any sense. Um, I do have a license disclosure. So if you want it, I could list it for you, but my intention was to buy it for cash. So let me know whatever you want to do. So that that's how I would take it. But if I was sending out like mail as a real estate agent, um, I would probably just send the, like the general, like, Hey, I, I'm looking to, you know, uh, I list houses in the area. Like I see, I'm not a realtor, so I don't really know the best, but Hey, I'm a realtor yeah. in the area. You know, I have a, a bunch of buyers who are interested in your, your property. Um, if you ever wanted to just even see what the value of the property would be, give me a call. I'll give you a free consultation, no strings attached. And I just want to get them to call. And then when they call in, I would then just do the process that I told you to kind of see if they're a fit or not. Gotcha. So Craig, maybe, um, the right message will be a, do you want to cash off a free property? And yeah, if, if you're, yeah, because yeah. that was going to get them to call. But if I was a realtor, I would make my messaging more like, hey, uh, I'm a I'm a realtor in the area. We, we've sold a lot of houses. And, um, you know, the, obviously, you know, the market's really, you know, on fire right now. If you just want to see what you think your property is worth, you're not obligated to sell it with me. Call me today for a free consultation and I'll tell you exactly what your property is worth. And then you'll know exactly what it's worth and no pressure either way. Cause I want them to call. And then when they call, you can then take them through your sales process, which can convert the, the people who are convertible. You know what I mean? Cause that's, that's enticing. So oh, I'll call them. I want to see what my house is worth. And then you could take them through your sales process and then you can convert those deals from that. But if you're just like, Hey, let me list your house. Like they probably would call them. You know what I mean? Like that's how I would look at it. If I was a realtor, yeah. I want them to call in. Cool. Is, is your primary source you're targeting distressed properties like NODs and stuff like that? Or what do you, I, I didn't hear the first part when you were talking about um, your target list. And I, I think you said something about uh, age of ownership. Yeah. I um, like age of ownership. So I want them to own that property for like at least 20 years because that's telling me that there's some deferred maintenance. There's definitely some equity. And usually there is like an inheritance or something like, like a transfer of the deed of the family or something like that. Cause if someone bought a house when they're 50, that was 20 years ago, they're 70 now. Like there's just, and there's a lot of data you can pull there. Like if you have like targeting like the tax default list in Maricopa County, there's probably like, I don't know, 15,000 of those. But if you want to pull a list of, you know, people who've owned their house for 20 plus years, then you can then filter out like absentee owners or that live out of state. You could probably get 50, 60,000 people. And then everyone's hitting the niche lists right now. The niche lists are everywhere. It's just getting crushed by all the gurus. Oh, hit the code violations. Oh, hit this. It's like, I like people. I want to sometimes be the only person they're talking to. That's not common now. But if you go after the broader list that people don't think are deals, we've done some monsters just from people who have equity in their house. You know, so I mean? you're not doing NODI, NODs and notes of trustee sales and stuff like that. NODs in San Diego are like, yeah. they're just getting murdered. Uh, just it's just everyone's hitting them. And then in New York, <laughs> the uh, the oh, the the say it's like foreclosure list or whatever. Not only are investors mailing them, but the attorneys are mailing them because in New York you can basically live in your house for free for a million years. 
So the attorneys are like, <laughs> don't get foreclosed. I'll stall this out for 15 years and we'll hose your bank. So they're just getting blown up by people. So we've got like two foreclosure deals in like my, my five-year journey as a real estate investor. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Greg. Hey, uh, if anybody needs a private coaching or one-on-one uh, consultation with you, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Um, probably just email me, uh, Greg at velocityhousebuyers.com, V-E-L-O-C-I-T-Y house, H-O-U-S-E, buyers, B-U-Y-E-R-S.com. And I'm pretty responsive on the email. So yeah. And then if you want to uh, check, I have a podcast too. Where we talk about this in depth, uh, pave the way podcast. We have guests on every week. So if you want to check that out, uh, it's a good show. Pave the way. Okay. Pave the way podcast. Yeah. We've got a real estate investors on there every week. Awesome, guys. I appreciate awesome. it, Greg. I hope you guys learned something. Remember, the money is not in commission. The money is in buying real estate. All right. See you next time, guys. Have a good day. If you'd like more information or to get connected to the Agent Power Huddle, join our free Facebook group. This call was designed for the agents in our EXP organization, but open to any agent from any brokerage. If you're a guest and you're interested in learning more about EXP or our specific resources within the Agent Collective, reach out to the person who invited you to this call to get more info. Produced by the Agent Collective Media Network.